This is Marginalia, a production of KMUW Wichita. Marginalia. Notes in the margin of a book. Notes, commentary, and similar material written in the margin of a book. Comments and notes which are incidental incidental or additional to the main topic. topic in the margin of a book. Set in Kentucky in the months leading up to and immediately following the 2016 presidential election, groundskeeping is the story of love, class, and identity. Owen returns to Kentucky after working a Colorado forestry job. He finds employment as a groundskeeper at a small college, which allows him to take one class each semester. That's where he meets Alma, a visiting writer in residence who faces her own challenges as a Bosnian immigrant. Together, their stories add up to a fantastic debut novel by Lee Cole. I recently spoke with Cole about groundskeeping. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. We are visiting pre-publication, so none of our listeners have had a chance to read your novel. In fact, our conversation will be available on publication day. So I'm wondering, can you give our listeners a brief description of groundskeeping? So the book is about an aspiring writer named Owen who returns to Kentucky after some time away and gets a job as a groundskeeper at a small college. And in exchange for this work, which is mostly trimming trees, uh, he's allowed to take some writing courses. And it's here at this college that he meets Alma, who's a visiting writer there and who comes from a very different background. And they begin a relationship, a secret relationship at first. So while the events of the novel are fictional, they do have their basis in my own experiences of homesickness and working as a tree trimmer and trying to navigate my relationship with Kentucky and with my family during this time in recent years where politics have become very personal. Well, you know, I'm going to jump right ahead to page 185 because Alma asks Owen what he's working on in terms of writing and Owen asks her, how do you know whether you're writing a journal entry or autobiographical fiction? And I tried to find some biographical information about you and found that something you have in common with Owen is that your experience working at the city of Aurora Forestry Division in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, Owen is from Kentucky. Your stint oh. at the Iowa Writers Workshop seemed to mirror Owen's trajectory a bit. So is Owen loosely based on you or were these similarities just launching points for the book? Um, I guess I think of them more as, as launching points. I, I think I would feel pretty constricted as a writer if I had to write memoir or nonfiction. Uh, it's just too much fun to be able to, uh, to exaggerate and tell a tall tale and, and to introduce details that never happened, you know? So, you know, I definitely draw on, on my life and my own experiences and my work, but uh, I treat them as sort of jumping off points that I'm free to diverge from, you know, and, and exaggerate. And, and of course, a lot of it's just completely made up. Some, you know, a lot of it's not based on autobiographical stuff at all. So, As you mentioned, this is set in the months leading up to and immediately following the 2016 presidential election. And you skillfully captured those complicated emotions people feel when learning about and navigating political differences with those who are close to them. And even the characters who appear to have differing political beliefs from Owen seem to have, you know, quite a bit of depth and humanity to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, was tapping into this polarity a challenge for you? No, not really, because, you know, I, I grew up in a really rural environment and all of my family was pretty conservative. And so I've had a lot of practice 
loving and empathizing with people that I disagree with. And, you know, what's unique, I guess, about the Trump years is that so many issues, it became impossible, or it seemed to me that it became impossible to simply agree to disagree because the issues have become personal, you know, and they become moral issues to my mind, rather than just simply political squabbles or something. Maybe that's unique to this book. There's a lot of, of um, conflicts, a lot of strife that comes to the surface during this time, you know, around 2016. But, you know, I, I feel like I knew these characters pretty well. And I feel like I was dissatisfied with a lot of the think pieces that I read around the 2016 election about what was motivating Trump voters as, as if it could be reduced to one simple, crude motivation, you know. And so I wanted to write a book about real, complicated people who contain multitudes and who have, you know, a lot of different reasons for why they do what they do. And some of them are contradictory and, you know, go against their interests. And but anyway, I just wanted it to be uh, a complicated thing rather than sort of simplifying or reducing them. Well, you were able to touch on, and not even necessarily only regarding Trump voters, I, there was this one line when I believe it was Alma's father was talking about what was happening in Bosnia. And I was struck by this line, all it takes is a little chaos. Mm. And they see their excuse to act out. So mm. talk to me about, you know, you had to touch on the chaos that was happening with the Trump election, but also with Alma's history in Bosnia. Well, you know, I, I had to do a lot of research for those sections with Alma's family. And I think, you know, a lot of the book came to me pretty quickly. But, you know, I had to do several weeks, a couple of months, really, of research just to write what amounted to I don't know, probably 15 or 20 pages. So it, you know, it really slowed down the writing of the book, but that's important because I wanted to try to get that stuff right. But, you know, I just saw some mirroring, I guess, between sort of the breakdown of society in the former Yugoslavia and, and kind of what I saw happening with a lot of nationalist groups and kind of weird paramilitary groups in the U.S. And, and of course, I wrote all this before January 6th, you know, which is, you know, speaking of chaos, which is kind of the culmination of all this aggression and, and violence, you know. So, yeah, I think with the stuff in Bosnia, I, I was kind of looking for metaphorical kind of mirroring between those two sort of historical events, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know, so at one point, Owen and Alma have a disagreement on the nature of writing that asks, who gets to tell the story of a lived experience? Mm -hmm. As a writer, are you more in the camp of, if you witness it, you get to write about it, or more of a permission should be granted by everyone involved before writing it? Which camp do you fall into? I don't know. I mean, I guess um, if you hang out with writers enough, you find yourself in situations where if you're both out and about and you see something odd or you encounter a, a bit of dialogue that's interesting, it's it's not uncommon for some for your friend who's a writer to say, I call dibs on that. Uh, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I think there's that way of navigating the issue. But, you know, I, I think that um, writers have a right to write about their own experiences. You know, I think that uh, it's it's your life. You have a right to write about it, you know. And obviously there are things to keep in mind. I mean, if you're writing autobiographically, one of the big downsides is that, you know, you can invade someone's privacy or, or write about them in a way that's um, 
that's invasive, I guess. So you have to be mindful of that. But, you know, as long as you're fictionalizing key elements and, and kind of remixing things, I mean, if, if I were writing nonfiction or a memoir, then certainly I think you have an obligation to reach out to people and sort of get the okay, you know. But if you're fictionalizing, if you're remixing, if you're exaggerating, you know, then I think you can kind of feel free to, to do that. So talk to me about place, because this book is set primarily in Kentucky. I mean, Alexandria, Virginia, Queens, Bosnia, and mm -hmm. Tallahassee, even through Google Earth, make an appearance. But let's talk <laughs> about that first line. I've, I've always had the same predicament. When I'm home in Kentucky, all I want is to leave. When I'm mm -hmm. away, I'm homesick for a place that never was. So mm -hmm. why, is, why is setting and this idea of home important to you? Well... Place and setting are usually what I think about first when I'm working on anything because, you know, someone's environment, the material conditions of a place sort of determine so much about character and the way people talk and the way people are and the sort of opportunities that they've had. You know, and as far as that first line, I think I came to that line because I was sort of experiencing writer's block and I, I forced myself to kind of distill down into one sentence what is the kind of emotional question or problem that is perennial to me that always comes back that could maybe interest me enough to spend two years writing a novel? And what I came up with was that first line that, you know, I have this experience of, of wanting to leave when I'm home, but then I feel homesick when, when I'm away. So it's kind of a catch 22, I guess. Um, and I don't know exactly how to resolve it. And I'm not sure that the book presents an answer so much as it just sort of poses the question. Um, and, you know, I think Owen's relationship to place and family is, is slightly more, um, well, he has a little bit more bitterness, I think, than I do. And, and he's a little more naive. And, you know, I'm not completely averse to the idea of, of living in Kentucky again at some point. But I think for Owen, it's a place that he's longed to escape. So much for that character is about kind of um, the familiar and the unfamiliar, you know, wanting wanting to go someplace different and meet different kinds of people. And that's sort of mirrored in the grandfather character as well, who had this sort of, he had his wild days of, of hoboing and hopping freight trains. Then he spent time in the South Pacific and after the war wanted to settle down. All he wanted was to come back to Kentucky and set out a, a crop of tobacco, you know? So these are all tensions that I, I don't think the novel is presenting any kind of definitive answer on them, but you know, this tension between wanting to leave and feeling the pull of home is definitely present there. You mentioned the way people talk. Did you ever have a Kentuckian accent? I did. <laughs> Your character loses it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of those details are based on my experiences. I mean, I can remember pronouncing Washington like Washington when I was in, uh, you know, middle school and having a teacher correct me. I definitely did have an accent. I, I don't know what accounts for its disappearance, maybe just television and, you know, kind of going off to school and living in other places, I guess. But, you know, the fear of a person coming from a rural place is always that they'll, uh, you know, their accent will come out, they'll, they'll be outed, you know, or the fear of the autodidact too, I think, is that you'll mispronounce a word because if you're not autodidact, you have access to books, but they don't tell you how to pronounce anything, you know, so yeah, there's always, I think, for people coming from rural backgrounds, this fear that they'll be outed as a, 
I don't know, a yokel or something, you know, which is something I, I worry about, definitely. So we talked about Kentucky being home, but family is also home. And mm. there were four different situations when Alma and Owen were meeting various family members, and the awkwardness was palpable for me. <laughs> Do you think that the same holds true for family as it does home, the, the push and pull of, you know, I want to leave and I'm homesick for you? Yeah, I think they're really closely related. And what's interesting, I think, during uh, the Trump years was that, you know, like I was saying, it became, it became harder, I think, to separate the political and the, and the personal. So there was this question of like, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are dealing with this now. I mean, to give an example, people whose parents, you know, I, I know people whose parents have gotten very deeply into like the QAnon stuff you know, which is just a kind of bonkers conspiracy theory. And for those people, there's this real question of like, you know, I love my family, you know, they raised me, they gave me everything, but then how do I, how do I talk to them? How do I be with them when they believe in something that feels so alien or so, you know, bizarre, you know, and what are the limits of, of empathy or forgiveness or something, you know, when, when people get into truly kind of ugly territory, you know. So these are all questions that I think became very acute, tensions that became very acute during the Trump years that I wanted to explore. There was a moment in the book when after seeing Mo Digliani's work at the National Gallery, Owen researched the artist and his last lover, who was also an artist. And Owen looked at the images the two created of each other and commented, they never seemed to have seen each other clearly, or worse, they did, and chose willfully to live in a fantasy with all its pleasant distortions. Mm -hmm. Do you think Owen and Alma suffered from this same short-sightedness? I think so. I mean, I think that by the end of the book, they see each other a little more clearly. But yeah, I mean, that's it's relationships between artists are interesting, especially if one artist is taking the other as his or her muse, you know? And it's sort of like what we talked about too. How do you handle situations where you're both sharing an experience? You know, who, who gets to call dibs on that material, you know? And so I just found that story of Modigliani and his last lover, Jean, pretty interesting. I mean, Modigliani seems like he was a pretty insufferable person, personally, but as is the case with a lot of those, uh, you know, avant-garde guys from the late 1800s. But um, yeah, I, I think there is some mirroring there, definitely. Uh, but my hope is that by the end of Groundskeeping, that Alma and Owen are a little more honest with each other and can see each other more clearly without those pleasant distortions. So Groundskeeping is dedicated to your grandfather, who was also mm -hmm. mentioned in your acknowledgments. Can you talk to me about him and how he influenced your book? Sure. Um, well, I would say that of all the characters in the book, um, the character of Pop, the grandfather, is kind of the closest to my actual grandfather, to a real person. I mean, there are important differences, but I mean, you know... It, he was just this kind of larger than life figure whose stories always enchanted me. You know, he had lived what I saw as this real kind of life of adventure. You know, he'd grown up during the Great Depression. He had hopped freight trains. He went to fight in World War II. And then he came back and was a farmer, you know. 
Um, and so those stories were enchanting to me and also like the relics of his life too, because he had old tobacco pegs and chicken wire and mule harrows and all this stuff sort of in his garage that he hadn't thrown out. And so I think that that all of that, all those old things were really fascinating to me. Um, you know, his stories, his ability as a storyteller played a big part in me wanting to be a writer. But then on, just on a thematic level, I think that the contrast between those sort of agrarian relics and that older time and sort of the modern South or modern Kentucky, which is kind of increasingly been taken over by consumerism and Wal the Walmartification of the South and all of that. I mean, I think that contrast is really interesting. And, and Cracker Barrel shows up in the book too, which is another interesting example of sort of commodifying that nostalgia for the agrarian past, you know, by literally hanging up these old farming relics on the walls, you know. Um, so all that was kind of at, at play, I think, in, in writing that character. So we've talked about a lot, but is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked? Well, I mean, just that I, I hope the book will be meaningful and valuable to anyone who's struggled with some of the same things, so, you know, with homesickness or who has a complicated relationship with home, people who are trying to reconcile the love they have for their families with what might be strong political disagreements. And you know, these have been pretty intense in the last couple of years, but I hope that people who read it come away with a, a better understanding of those issues and, and maybe a little more empathy for the other side. Well, Lee Cole, the book is Groundskeeping. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks so much for having me. That was Lee Cole, author of the book Groundskeeping, which was published by Knopf. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens, and our producer is Haley Krausen. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay. <laughs> <laughs>